This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Seth. Hi, I'm Stane. And we're going to talk about the 1987 uh, novel by Dean Koontz, Watchers. Uh, I was reading the Amazon and Goodreads reviews, and uh, like I said before the podcast, everybody seems to agree on the facts, which I think is kind of a good thing. Sometimes you read a book, you don't know what the fuck's going on. In this case, uh, everybody knows what's going on exactly, I think. Yeah, he spells it out for you. Yeah, it's really super clear, and I like that. It's refreshing. Uh, (laughs) A lot of science fiction isn't very clear. Um, not the, right, the writing's not that clear. A lot of other fiction's not that clear. This is very, very clear. Um, but uh, you were saying, Seth, that it's not actually uh, science fiction. What did you say? A mainstream is what you called it. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't really... I mean, it's science fiction because it has science fiction elements in it, but it, um, as Steen was saying before the podcast, all the characters are pretty simplistic. It has a lot of the... Um, thriller serial killer tropes in it even though the serial killer isn't a person so yeah i I call it sort of a a a mainstream thriller with significant science fiction trappings i actually like the the, uh the 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 bad guy i always like kunt's bad guys because they kind of seem a little bit nice they're bad but they have good drive and they really care that's well, what, like what, about, what about with regard to genre? What genre is this? It's it's action and science fiction. Action and science fiction. I I, I was reading the what people were saying about it, and I thought somebody came up with the perfect description of the genre, and they called it supermarket fiction, <laughs> <laughs> which actually <laughs> I think is exactly right because you know if you think about the people who who get really popular, uh, like Stephen King, Dean Koontz, or um, who's the guy who wrote Jurassic Park? Oh, Michael Crichton. Michael Crichton, right? So they, they sort of flirt with these ideas of of the fantastic. But they're never uh, deep. Yeah, they're, they're, that's not really the focus. That's sort of the trappings. Um, that's sort of the help get the stuff going. You get the sense from reading this, though, and I think that's why I enjoyed it, is that even though Dean Koontz knows he's writing for a popular audience and it feels more like other, unlike other authors who don't go deep, it feels like Koontz could go deep if he wanted to. Like it seems mm-hmm. there's some kind of um, moments where he get uh, waxes kind of philosophical about the stuff and you think, Hmm, mm-hmm. this guy could really, if he had the uh, intention and actually could get rich doing it, he would, <laughs> he would um, <laughs> explore these themes uh, more deeply and actually do a good job. Yeah, but in his, uh-huh. in, in his books, it's, it's always more concerned about the action, the go, go, go. That's how I always yeah. kind of feel. And, and, and it's like, like keeping yeah. me excited, keeping me in, uh, involved, and uh, not, not getting bored. And I never get bored with his books. Well, but this is sort of his formula, too, right? You, you, you've read a bunch of his books, Dean, and you yep. said that this is, it's got all the elements of his, uh, his other things. There's like a, an intelligent dog. There's a serial kill, uh, a human serial killer. Yes, somewhere. and 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 the the good guy is always super good. Yeah, super good. And there's like a lonely lady who needs fixing. <laughs> um, there's a uh, 
there's the the nobody has any need for a job. They're all right. So. Yeah, that's one thing I noticed is that everything could be solved by by something selling the house. Whereas a real person yeah. would have been like, that's it. I have to go to Mexico and get a job fishing or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's no way they could actually escape other than doing some bizarre thing like that. But even the, the secondary characters like... Um, Garrison. The lawyer, he's yeah. sort of independently wealthy. The uh, the the uh, vet, he doesn't, you know... Yeah, you get to... He doesn't have to... Money ex machina thing going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... It's kind of like a wish fulfillment. I think that's largely why this is so intensely popular, um, and why he mm-hmm. is, you know, he is so popular. You read the book, and you, you, you sort of imagine there's a whole bunch of people. One of the one of the scenes I was re-listening to is when the dog is in Travis's house for the first time, and he goes over to the bookshelf and he starts sniffing the books, and, <laughs> and then and then Travis gives the description of all the all the books that the dog sniffs yep. and, and he gives kind of a plot summary and uh, you know, his, what the theme is or something like that. And <laughs> I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. So it's like, um, it's, it's almost like, and I think that's why I wanted to do this guy is cause he's uh, like a number of writers. I like, um, he writes it very instinctually. Yeah. And so I don't think he says, okay, now what I'm going to do on this page is, um, is get to point, plot point B. What he does is, I like books. <laughs> Somewhere deep in his mind, he says, I like books. And then his readers are readers. Which yeah. means they like books, too. So he's writing yeah. a good book. He's not writing to write money for money. Yeah, I, right. and I think that it's an accident that that he he is so incredibly rich. And Well, I assume he's incredibly I'm rich. Sure, yeah. He's so incredibly popular. It's because he just happens to have these interests and write in a very instinctual way. The same, like the same book over and over again, right? Kinda, yeah, kinda. Basically, yes, it is, <laughs> <laughs> but written in a different way with different different sentences. Different sentences, <laughs> but uh, there's a dog. There's a uh, some sort of threat to the couple, or uh, yeah, like in Odd Thomas, there's a dead dog who's a ghost, so. <laughs> oh wow! But he's also smart. <clears throat> but he, he, I'm not sure you can read this one. But uh, yeah, generally there's always a dog, or and uh, in some there isn't though. It's very odd. This because those later ones don't have a dog, and it was kind of seemed like odd there was no dog in it. Well, yeah, I had, well, um, I had um, someone had told me I was telling them I was reading this, and someone had told me um, that um, his one of his rescues had uh, died or, or something like that, and so you know he'd stopped. Um, Stopped writing about dogs for a while. Apparently, it's it's he's back to it now. I'm I'm not sure. I can't confirm or deny that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the Labrador Retriever that's in oh, it's not a lab. It's a gold golden retriever. Golden, that's, yeah. That's in this book um, would later be become a real dog in his real life. Mm. Um, oh, it didn't exist apparently at the time the book was written. Oh wow. But, but because uh, he was giving so much money, he gave like two and a half million dollars to. Uh, a a like service dog organization in the states mm. that they gave they gifted him a a service dog. Wow! Um, oh, he didn't you know need one, and uh, and that's the one that's called Trixie Coons. Oh, okay. Um, oh, that that that, that that he that dog the the book you wrote about the dog. Yeah, he, <laughs> no, not the book. There's several books oh. about this dog written in the dog's point of view. Uh, <laughs> 
some, even some of them after it's dead. Um, and the thing is, is it, it, it seems to me from my cursory reading of these books about written from the dog's point of view, that what was happening in this book with the characters of Travis and, uh, whatever, uh, Nora, mm-hmm. um, is that, uh, that would later happen in his own life. Um, it's like he wanted something to happen. He'd like to have, everyone kind of wants to have a dog that's smart because yeah. they love their dog. Um, and you know, I, if I could only understand what he said, if he could only communicate, um, I mean, there's a lot of reverence for the relationship between humans and dogs in this. Yeah. I think that also is a large part why it's so l- beloved. I mean, if you look at the Amazon review, uh, or, yeah, I think it's Amazon reviews, it's five stars with more than a thousand reviews. Wow. Which is a ton of reviews. And it is an old book, mm-hmm. but um, after a certain point, what else is your review going to say other than, I love this book? <laughs> wow, it is lopsided there. That is isn't that. <laughs> and if you go to the if you go to the one star reviews, which I did, um, they're cat lovers. No, no. Um, some of them are complaining that uh, you know that it is it it is sort of sappy, and that it is um, wish fulfillment oh, and it's totally sappy. The dialogue is sort of. Uh, I don't know, clunky. <laughs> I would say that that's right. Yeah, um, I mean, I I um I have a retired guide dog. Um, I you know he and I worked together for a lot of years. He was my guide dog, so you know this was definitely um, there were some really emotional scenes for me in this book because like, oh. I related to the the uh, a lot of the emotions. I mean, uh, my dog's not as, nearly as smart as Einstein, but. Man, you you get the all the uh, emotional beats that he hits um, in the book were totally um, hitting home for me. I was like, wow. Uh, so yeah, it does. It really works on an emotional level for me, anyway. I think that that, that is where it's working totally. Yeah, because um, the to me the most interesting character in the book is the outsider, and the the pathos there is it's very high level i mean yeah. the thing is this is actually this is like slow pitch uh you know uh science fiction it's like very you know like how how the science actually works and how uh you know how the nsa i mean I, I, as far as i know the nsa are not cops running around doing this sort of thing right so um how they even are connected is it's you know it's sort of not that well researched is what i'm thinking um, but it doesn't really matter because it, where it works is when he constructs the characters, even when they're insane characters, um, he does enough depth of of think, well, maybe feeling about how the characters are to to make them a little more real than mm-hmm. you would see in other other stuff. But the outsider, you know, we never see anything. From, I don't think there's a scene in the book from its point of view. No. no, and yet I think uh, the the couple of scenes where we get a, there's one where they're talking. Why does it tear out the eyes, right? Yeah, and that goes to the title, I think. Um, and also uh, at the end with the with the Mickey Mouse um, telephone or whatever. Yeah. it is. I mean that is that is some really sad stuff. I mean as sad as. Uh, almost anything, I think. Yeah, 
And you, you, you also, Seth, you were saying that this is a direct philosophical descendant of Frankenstein, of, of Frankenstein, <laughs> which I think is hilarious because it's absolutely right, but it's also like the slow pitch. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Of, of Frankenstein, right? simple, simple view. This idea that we that we need to um, um, treat our creations with justice and mercy. Um, as uh, oh, I can't remember who said it. Uh, oh. Might have been like, yeah. Uh, and that was the whole problem with um, with Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. When when they go into the lab, they they see the dog, this dog that's smart, and they love it. They pet it, right? They they give it, um, you know, treats, and yeah, they 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 you know they give it affection, and then they see the the horrible disfigured monster that actually it doesn't sound as bad as you know as all that i mean it's it really not, doesn't it's not pretty but it's like oh its face is kind of lumpy who cares it's not furry. <laughs> yeah but um the the fact that it's extremely violent all the time i that'd be what would be the turn off for me yeah but, yeah they made it that way yeah it's, a, it's for right. the army but uh, but the thing is is i think it's interesting like um it's sort of it, it doesn't really care about about um about whether the nature of the animal is is its nature. So uh, what I mean is, for example, dogs, uh, the way we think of dogs is they're, you know, wild animals that we tamed, but actually that's not what they are. They are, you know, shaped by us. The reason mm-hmm. we love dogs so much is because we've spent, you know, thousands of years um, creating them in sort of a Frankensteinian <laughs> glacial pl- process, right? I hadn't thought about that, but that's true. And yeah. so they are basically, what dogs are is, is they are infantilized wolves, right? They, they are affectionate and they whimper and they do all the things that baby wolves do, um, but they don't um, chase you down and kill you. Whereas dogs will chase you, they they chase chase you down and play with you. Yeah, there are yep. some that you know are bred to do other things, um, right. you know, dogs, etc. But essentially, their nature is to be cowards um, and to be led around by humans. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the opposite uh, animal, I mean, I thought it was it, it's kind of silly to say stuff like you could breed an animal for for violence or something like that. that that's not genes don't work that way right they they work for survival so it's not like there's a a violent gene it's sort of you know right. or savagery gene there's you know the reason ba- polar bears are savage is because that's how they get their food right so yeah. uh, uh, baboons are ter- territorial but that's with each other and with you know humans who are going into their territory it's not like they 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 just like being violent with each other all the time. They're just more violent than uh, bonobos who they solve their problems through having lots of sex. <laughs> um, the, um, the, the science here, I don't think is that, is that uh, great, but I, I, I don't mind because I, I like the way he puts together the, um, it's sort of like a, we see, I saw everything coming, you know, there's this lady, she's got, a serial, no, not a serial killer. There's that other guy. Yeah, stalker, the, uh, yeah. Stalker, right? Uh, creepy uh, cable guy. Stalker. <laughs> cable guy. Uh, yeah. 
and he's he's um he's sort of dealt with pretty well and then the, there's all these sort of problems that confront people and there's the then the, then it's the the actual serial killer who uh as far as i can tell he was just delusional about those uh those uh becoming immortal is that correct uh yeah taking in the lives and, and stuff yeah that that seems yeah. to be like that's one the one extra step that shows me he doesn't really <laughs> care about science at all. It's just sort of it's the, it's the material he uses to yeah to uh, present threats. It's interesting. Give the guy a reason. Uh, yeah, to, to, to give the guy a reason. But that 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 seems fairly common in his books, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, later on, though, in some of the other ones, he actually there's more concern about money, and he kind of drops mm-hmm. some of the the surreali- surrealistic things, but. Generally, yeah, it's a crazy guy trying to get power via some bizarre thing, mm-hmm. eating things, huh. or some of the other ones too. Mm-hmm. So, Jesse, um, did, did you catch the uh, Call of the Wild reference in this book? Uh, which one? So, there's a um, scene where uh, Travis is um, teasing Einstein or something, and he's like, "If you don't behave yourself, I'm going to send you up to work in Alaska." Or, Something mm. like that. Mm. I, I definitely mm-hmm. thought of you. And uh, uh, well, he, he went to the Yukon. So sorry. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. No, I didn't. I didn't catch that one. But it is. It is. It, it is exactly something like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that sort of little, little. Um, a lot of little nods to other, other yeah. literature. I also think it's interesting. Like um, his his politics. Uh, you know, his description of the books on the bookshelves. There, there's kind of um, libertarian. I, one, of, one of the things that everybody on the Amazon and Goodreads reviews who who are complaining uh, about the books, they point to is sort of the the discontinuity between the the rom romantic aspects of the book and then the storing guns all around the house. Yeah, <laughs> like um, they're they're survivalists or something. Because it's wish fulfillment, it it it's got. It's got the elements where you've got a a person who's hoping to find find a true love, yeah. But they're also hoping for a threat to cement that love somehow. Sure. And that's what happens, right? And so they they prep for right. They they're actually planning to confront the outsider. Mm-hmm. They prep for that, it's and home, that home alone for, basically. Well, yeah, I, I mean, in that, uh, that's a kid's wish fulfillment, right? Yeah. Of the same thing. But this is for adults. Yeah. The, the supermarket going book reader. I, I wonder what Europeans think of that, too. Like, you know, they're not yeah. surrounded by guns. Like, like here, I know people with guns all over the place. But in other places, they don't have You're guns. In Colorado. Yeah, Colorado. You can, you, can, you can carry a gun around if you want to in your car. So I was wondering, like, do the like people in Britain think this is crazy? They've gone over the the edge because they got guns everywhere, but they need the guns to stop the outsider. So it makes sense. Yeah, that's right. Okay. I mean, uh, one of the things is they went and got a special kit to make their Uzis uh, <laughs> fully automatic, and I was like, oh yeah, that's a day trip between uh, the baking of the cookies. <laughs> I mean, that was that was the funny part, is right? She's got a uh, uh, not Remington or some sort of pistol in the glove compartment and yeah. meanwhile Travis is at home making cookies with a dog. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is sort of this is sort of a um it's a misfit if you look at it from a genre outside of sort of the Dean Kuntz genre where it perfectly fits. 
Um, the, the only other novel I've actually read by him is Phantoms, which I quite liked. Have you guys read that one? No. I probably mm-hmm. have. Um, That's it's where there's uh, it starts with a missing uh, the lady coming back from far away to her hometown. She goes into the town and there's nobody on the streets and there's nobody around and uh, she goes into the kitchen of her family's house and there's nobody there and there's like a sink full of jewels. Huh. And and it's like that's weird. <laughs> and then she goes next door and it's the same thing. There's nobody there. Uh, you know, there's food on the table, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I remember and that. Yeah. sink full of, like, rings and, and you know, and necklaces and stuff like that. And it's 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 really creepy, and it's got this sort of wish-fulfillment uh, aspect of it. Um, but it's always fun, though. That's the reason I don't like his stuff. It's that's, always That's fun. right. It's, and, it's very fun. <clears throat> and he interacts with the bad guys in a fun manner, and it's uh, even though they're to kill you, they're still kind of like, okay. Yeah, and there's always more than one <laughs> bad guy, too. There's always, like... In in that one, there's like an actual monster somewhere, um, but as there is in this one, but there's also human bad guys too. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also so, a lot clearer though. One thing I found interesting: I'm trying to read some of the old Gothic novels, <clears throat> and, I, and I get lost. It's like I'm doing Udolpho or whatever. It's like I have no idea. History of Udolpho. Yeah, it's like 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 is this chick the the, the mother? The great granddaughter, or the you know, and and here with Kuntz, yeah. I never have a problem. It's like it's just no, super it's clear. so clear. I think that yeah. that's a lot of what the selling feature is, right? Is you always know what's going on. <laughs> you will understand this. You will not be. It's all on the surface. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was I was normally when I do books like this, I wanna I say okay, so let's look at the parallel structure of this and this, and the closest I could come is at the beginning of the novel. Um, he's out in the the desert area of California hunting snakes, yeah. right? Which is kind of funny. And then at the end, um, oh, and he he sees a rattlesnake and he's about to kill it. And then he thinks, you know what? No, that's not the right thing to do. Um, this snake at least fits into the niche, uh, you know, uh, environmental niche. It's part of the ecosystem. But what am I doing here? And then he goes and has some cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Goes and eats some cookies, and then the, the the actual plot starts, and that you know is sort of echoed at the end. There's cookies, yeah. <laughs> um, he's making cookies, and then the monster comes, and then uh, he feels sorry for it just as he kills it. Yeah, but he had to. Like, yeah, but he had to. But no, notice that it was an outsider, and it actually asked him to kill it. Yeah, right. Um, that's. Uh, I think that that's. The underlying strength of the book is the is the the pathos involved in all of the characters. Um, well, except for the serial killer who yeah. who absorbs people. We're not. We're just supposed to hate him. I yeah. think. Um, so the question with the outsider is: Did the outsider think that it killed the dog? Because I think even in the book it it raises the question that he yeah. may not have. He he may have known that the dog wasn't dead, uh, which yeah. you know would really be its ultimate triumph. You know. Exactly. In, in fact, that is also parallel to uh, to Travis at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is I don't think you know he's 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 sitting down with a chart and doing this. I think it's sort of more he likes cookies and he likes mercy, um, and he can sort of <laughs> no, and he likes guns, but he also likes you know uh, being nice to people because he's he's a friendly guy. Um, also, I don't know if you guys noticed, but on the back of the original uh, hardcover, uh, he doesn't look anything like he does today. 
Koontz. Uh, he had a mustache and uh, uh, almost no hair on his head. And now today, no mustache and very, very dark black hair. Which it, it migrated. No, apparently he, he got a uh, hair transplant. Oh, okay. So it's real. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if the color's real, because he, he's got to be getting up there. But he seems like a really, I mean, reading his books, I think you get a real sense of the guy. And yeah. he seems like a really nice guy as long as, you know, you're not uh, hanging out with him when he's playing with his guns, maybe. Right, right. There it seems couple, it seems cool. There was a couple of political things uh, that kind of dated this to the '80s that I oh yeah noticed. One of them was um, I, I think it was when they were getting their fake IDs or something. You know, mm-hmm. Travis went on this whole uh, soliloquy on on uh, technology and oh you know now that we're in the technology age, you know, the mm-hmm. average person's going to be empowered. There's going to be no way for the government to control us anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Boy, you got that wrong. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, even he's talking about the NSA too, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, there is some. He he got it wrong, but he also got it right. I mean, there's there's uh, what's funny is it's 1987, and uh, like you know, a lot of things that were happening in other public materials, they're, they're talking about hacking and such. Yeah. Um, but this is still um, this is before the internet, right? Oh, not the internet. It's before the web. Right. Yeah. Um. So the the way that the the criminals do their backup on on the fake IDs, you know, that that's actually pretty legit. Oh yeah. Oh, he, for sure. he seemed to be sort of up on that sort of stuff at the time. Uh, is, is he still like that scene? Is he still keeping up with modern technology? Uh, a little bit of web stuff. I don't really recall that much. Yeah. He's not like, he's not killer a killer tweeting his. Yeah. His yeah. Like the other thing that I noticed was that there seemed to not a lot, but there was preoccupation on uh, South America. And hmm. there's this whole, um, this 80s, uh, this is the age of uh, Manuel Noriega. Uh, I don't remember yeah, exactly when I that happened. Yeah, I saw that too. But, but it was sort of, there was this preoccupation with South America that that's where the next, you know, yeah, Central South America, that that's where the yeah. next kind of conflict was was going to be brewing. And mm-hmm. there's one mention, I think, where Travis had a dream about uh, a peacekeeping mission in the Middle East. But mm-hmm. there was a whole sense in the 80s that that's where the Lebanon, next I think it was. Yeah. problem was going to be. And, and that was um, I just found that interesting because that did not materialize that way. Well, actually it did. It's just it's not well publicized, right? Well, yeah. The United States treats treats Central America like like its its domain, right? Oh, for so sure. They're always in their toppling governments, and and uh, considering the character is supposed to be with Delta Force, um, he's going to be doing some of that. Yeah. Stuff absolutely. Yeah, it's not like uh, Vietnam anymore, where it's on TV all the time. It's only if you're embedded, it's on TV. Oh yeah, uh, they didn't embed anyone down there, right? That those are not real. Those aren't even like sanctioned by Congress, sort of things. They're more like, um, right, rogue operations or you know domestic operations, sort of quasi domestic operations, next door neighbor operations, advising operations. It's yeah, but um, there's uh, there's something also you know you you make the connection to Frankenstein, and I definitely felt that in a at least a little level I, it's funny that the 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 actual creators are you know not on screen at all uh in this in this yeah. book um which is uh i guess it makes the plot a little more streamlined it's a pretty chunky yeah. book as it is but uh actually the word the outsider um is is a name of a lovecraft story 
Um, and it has a creature or monster that uh, eventually sees itself in a reflection and is horrified just mm. as, as wow. the monster is horrified okay. by its reflection in this. Um, and the, um, in the, the crappy movie version that Steen and I watched, um, I think it was 1988, uh, it, it, uh, it does, it does, it reinforces this idea that, you know, when it sees a mirror, it will smash the mirror. It, mm-hmm. when it sees a, um, the reason it's killing people is to tear out their eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with the video, what's so funny is, you know, the, the, the popularity of, of that really shitty movie, well, <laughs> mildly shitty movie, I should say. <clears throat> It's actually well um, plotted. It's just not well acted, or you know, <laughs> it's it sort of it does the same thing as the um, as the book, but it the focus is more on the horror aspect of it and sort of the mm-hmm. 1980s 80s gore aspect of it rather than the relationship aspect. The the main character is turned into a teenager oh, no. and he's on the run with his mom and the dog instead of. Oh, my uh, Wow. Yeah, but they, yeah. they didn't have the time. There's no way you could have done that movie. No, you can't. I mean, that's the other thing is Kuntz, like King, is often adapted for film, but they they yeah. never have the time to do what Kuntz does with a book, which is get inside and play, you know, spend time with the characters. It's very character oriented. But uh, the the aspect where the the eyes being torn out is, I think. The the name of the book, like all of Kuntz's books and a lot of King's books, they're you know these single word things that completely forgettable, kind of like the book themselves, right? They sort of all blend together. Intensity and phantoms <laughs> and yeah. watchers. There's like a big long string of these single letter or single word titles that don't really tell you that much. The watchers of the title are us, right? Us looking at this horrible monster and saying, ew, gross, he's scary. Yeah. Um, apparently, uh, Kuntz wanted to title it Guardian. Um, oh. And th- we get that after the, um, you know, in sort of the latter half when the dog's on the watch for for, um, for the monsters and uh, I guess the serial killer, right? He's, he's protecting them and it actually has the words, you know, he was the Guardian uh, in there. But uh, that's also what Phil K. Dick called dogs. Um, you know, when what is the j- dog's job? It's the guard, right? In Phil K. Dick's first published story, Rug, um, the dog thinks of its, or not the dog, the aliens that come down to steal the garbage out of the garbage cans call the dog the guardian. Ah. Uh. Because it's barking to protect the garbage can. <laughs> 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 From the dog's point of view, oh, these aliens awesome. are stealing something quite valuable. <laughs> yummy smelling stuff that the humans carefully placed in this <laughs> this offering urn. <laughs> it's it's very um it's it, it's good at getting insight. And I think Kuntz is you know, although he's anthropomorphizing dogs here more than he is, I think, really trying to understand their behavior. I think it's still interesting and yeah. well done. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that made me think of Frankenstein was the education of the dog, um, the education of Einstein. Um, He's reading a lot of books. That whole bit in uh, Frankenstein where the monster reads uh, Paradise Lost, mm-hmm. uh, and that um, has a, a major effect on him. You know, it made me 
Although Einstein doesn't go as deep with his. Uh, no, he's more like deep. Agatha Christie or something, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a happy reader this time. <laughs> <laughs> you, the, in the reread, was it uh, nostalgic or what? I honestly didn't remember one bit. Not yeah. one bit, and but still, it's it's like it's like a really good short little video or something. It just makes you happy. And it's not even that short though. I mean, no, it's, it's actually long. Yeah, it's thirteen hours or so. Yeah, Maybe fourteen hours. Two Jessies. Yeah, something like that. Um, but I, I think that, that a lot of people say that. Uh, the, some people say, "Book you will never forget." Um, but I think it actually is. It's it's more like candy, and you eat it, yeah. and you say, yeah. mm, "That was good," and then you eat another one, and you say. Was this the book with that? I don't remember which one is which. Because they're all kind of... Was that the yeah. peanut butter cup with chocolate or the chocolate cup with peanut butter? Well, yeah. the, the thing I liked about it was that it was really long, but at no time was it going, oh, God, please let it be over. Because, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, don't want to keep on going. Because even if it was 14 <laughs> hours, it was like, I, even at the end, it was like, yeah, I can still keep going with this. This is not mm-hmm. bad. And uh, that's... Uh, lately, I've had a bunch of ones I didn't like, like... Like the giver, and I was like, I was like, please let this end. <laughs> and and it's like, is it me or does everybody hate this book? Everybody must hate this book. And then I look it up. No, everybody didn't. So, so that was that was pleasant because the giver was a lot shorter. Yeah, that's, yeah, I didn't, I didn't even read that. I read, I read it a long time ago. I I don't remember it that well, other than it was it was all right. Uh, well, I guess we. We we did talk about this. It's it's pretty shallow. It's, it's, it's yeah, honestly, I, yeah, there's not that not. much to say. But I I like the way that the instinctual uh, aspect of his writing. Like when you, Steen, you read lots of Lawrence Block and Donald West, like like yeah. I have. I think those guys when they write a book, they are not they they take experiences from their own life, and they sort of transform them into uh, as Ray Bradbury did too. I mean, Ray Bradbury never had an experience that he didn't write into several <laughs> novels or you know fix up novels. It, they just take stuff that they know about and they start typing and it flows into stories. But it doesn't always have to say something. That's that's what I like with his stuff here, Dean Kuhn's stuff. It doesn't have to say something. It's ex- it's an exciting adventure. That's it. Yeah, adventure. Yeah. We don't need to know about any philosophical things, and yeah, yeah. they're never wrong. You turn your brain off when you're yeah you're doing it. I, and I think that's a that is largely. I mean, that is is how you do it. Is if you want to make a lot of money, you get something that a lot of people can really enjoy. If there's Just no really, neg- there's no negativities either. It's not like uh, you know big hard depressing parts of it or. You know, hard words to understand. There's no, there's, there's nothing to stop you from finishing it. Hmm. Yeah, it's it it flows smoothly. Fun. That's Fun. that's that's the word for it. Fun. Yep. Um, the the complainers they say you know it's it's a bad crime novel, a bad romance novel. Um, th- there was one <laughs> guy complaining about the dialogue. He said, he said, here's an example of the. <laughs> style of dialogue that's in here. Oh, no. um, he says, gee whiz, Lem, why do you reckon that creature of you NSA folk left a head on a plate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the audiobook narrator, um, yeah, the audiobook narrator helps with that because he, you know, gives that guy a southern accent and it, it really, it helps. He says, the response is, don't know, Sheriff. When it lived in the lab, it sure was aggressive, though. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's pretty bad. That's not. Uh, that is a straw man of what's actually said. The um, the actual text is um, you know they talk about the Francis project, which is yeah. uh, you know, uh, it, but um, they. Uh, I think that the key uh, relationship from that lab is why is it after the dog? And I th- I thought well. Uh, whatever reason it is, it's probably just you know it's not that deep. But actually, um, it it's I think it's it makes it deeper and richer. It says you know they're both created in the lab, and one is the favorite child, and the other one is the outsider, the black the, sheep. The not just the black sheep. It is it, it they say it's like a thing that should not be. Yeah. Right. Um. And whereas the dog at the end of the story, it's you know it's having its Huey Dewey and Louie. Babies, it's going to breed a, a you know a whole bunch of super dogs that An are going to be smart, um, with no hands, by the way. <laughs> so they're always going to be dependent on uh, the page turning um, yep. machines. Yeah, um, there's sort of crazy stuff going on there, but uh, it's stewing in the resentment of this, you know, this favored child being, uh, yeah. being being loved and adored. And meanwhile, it is hated and and reviled. Yeah, yeah. And it, so it turns on its creator. It, I mean, that's the Frankensteinian element, right? Mm-hmm. But because Frankenstein didn't have a twin, right? Yeah. Uh, and and it the outsider doesn't have a uh, a, a bride, right? She mm-hmm. she is not. Uh, he, it is not. Um, uh, or he, I guess, doesn't really. I don't know. Whatever he or it is. It doesn't have um, enough language, you know. Hasn't read Paradise Lost, yeah. So it yeah. can't say, you know, all I want from you creators is for you to make me uh, a wife, sort of thing. It has only an en- it has only an enemy to hate, yeah. And yet they both, the the dog and the outsider, share a love of Mickey Mouse, <laughs> <laughs> and that is like so sad. Well, it says somewhere that they're the yin and yang. Uh, one of them, Lemuel, or one of them makes a comment that they're kind of the yin and yang of uh, humanity, or something like that. Hmm. I don't know. If, I don't know if that makes any sense other than in this book. But yeah, it's it's not it's not bad. I mean, even even that uh, that NSA agent, he's got his he's his role is sort of like uh, detective fix in. Uh, in around the world in 80 days he's just basically to chase after and you yeah. know, give give facts about stuff uh in the end he doesn't really do anything yeah but uh even he's got his own motivation you know he's a black man so he has to worry about proving that he's just as good as the white guys and yeah do twice as good a job to get the same treatment, etc. So the, the the level of characterization is is definitely high enough to keep 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 the plausibility up, even if the the entire circumstances of of everybody is totally implausible. It, it doesn't feel like it's any other genre than a Dean Koontz genre sort of thing, <laughs> if you know what I mean. No. He's by himself in his own little island. Yeah. And and all the readers who, who read that get to go there and visit. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.